0: Colonial Woods Missionary Church presents Keys to Confident Living. Before you're seated, would you turn to somebody and say, you look wonderful this morning. Do that, would you? Even if they don't, just do it. Tell them they look good. We need to be encouraged this morning. You can go ahead and grab a seat. Glad you're here this morning. If you have your Bibles with you, turn to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, we're going to continue a series We started several weeks ago called Together. We've been focusing on this thing called the family of God, the body of Christ. We're the household of faith. We are God's children. And what does this thing look like, even as we call it church? What does this thing look like and how does it look different from the world? In our first week together, we talked about the power of one, how Christ wants us. To have a spirit of unity in the body of Christ that is unlike anything that's in this world. And the world could talk about being together, but the church ought to have that sense of oneness when we come together. Last week we talked about conflict. In fact, I, I would love to just find out how many had to practice last week's message, but I won't do that. Uh, but I thought about this week a number of folks that were in some situations. I, well, I wonder how they're doing and their conflict resolution skills. Conflict is normal. It is natural and it is neutral, which means that it is part of life and it is part of relationships, but how you do conflict determines whether it becomes destructive or unhealthy. And so we need to model for the world. When we do it right, it's a light into our world. Now today I want to talk about this whole thing of just being together. In fact, we could call it corporate worship, but it's way more than coming together in a large service. It's this whole idea of being together as a church, and it almost seems, it seems weird to talk about being together together. When half of our congregation is, is right now joining us online, either because of health needs or because they just simply have to because of distance, some are joining out of a, a sense of caution. In fact, that's become the normal, right, in our, in our culture. But it's still appropriate for us to talk about this whole thing of together and why God has this whole thing called worship and, and community within the body of Christ, Sometimes we do things, we don't even know why we do it, and so if you're a person who grew up your whole life going to church, you might not even think that much about the significance of doing so, but in Acts chapter 2, the very earliest church, they would come together in times of worship. In fact, that was very normal within the Jewish custom as well, but, but upon, the, upon the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the church would come together as often as it possibly could for various reasons. In fact, in Acts chapter 2, under the influence and the empowering of the Holy Spirit, and we see the outpouring on the day of Pentecost, we see that the church in one message response sees 3,000 people who are added into the kingdom of God in one message. In fact, Peter, under the influence of the Holy Spirit, sees more individuals come to Christ than than Christ did in his entire ministry. And so that whole thing of how Jesus says you're going to do even bigger things and and more incredible things than what I did, it's really a promise that's fulfilled. And it says in Acts chapter 2 that they would continue to add to it and they would come together on regular occasions, in fact, every day for the purpose of worship. Now notice what it says in Acts chapter 2 verse 42 as he begins to kind of outline what the early church did. They had four things they tended to focus on. It says in Acts chapter 2 verse 42, they devoted themselves, which means they were committed to these things. They were committed to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship. There's a definite article, the, the fellowship toward the breaking of bread and to prayer. And so those were the four aspects of the early church, and in many ways, it's kind of what we're about today, because in the early church, they would come together, and the first thing you would do is focus in on the apostles' teachings, which we would call the Word of God, because we understand in Scripture that no Scripture is, is simply uh, that men just made it up. It says in 1 uh, Peter chapter, what is it, 1 or 2, that it as they were carrying along by the Spirit of God, that all Scripture is God-breathed, and so they would study the Old Testament Scripture, they would show how Jesus fulfilled that prophecy, and then they would teach under the influence of the Holy Spirit, and so they focused on the Word of God. And there's a reason, because they believed that the Word of God was authoritative, inspired, and essential for daily life, just like I hope we believe, certainly as a church we do, affirm that the Word of God is inspired, it is inerrant, and it is authoritative in our life. Meaning, it has every right for God to think that we should submit ourselves to the authority of the Word of God. And so we put a fair amount of attention on that here at Colonial Woods. But simply focusing on the Word of God, in fact, in really starting in the 80s, there became this prevalent focus toward teaching and preaching probably some of it because it became very prevalent on radio and radio teachers and you could get a hold of really good teaching and so just simply focusing on teaching and preaching of God's word really is not enough then he says the fellowship and when they talk about the fellowship it's not just simply hanging out together although that's okay I remember several years ago when we were uh, uh, talking to our youth group and I I said the pastor Dan I said hey Dan Why don't we consider just doing like a coffee night or something like that where the youth can just hang out? We don't always have to teach, although we love to teach. We don't always. There have to be opportunities for Christians to just hang out together. I am fully convinced that if there was a Dunkin' Donut in the early church, Christians would have gone there. I believe it. I believe it, I receive it, and I will apply it into my life. Or a Tim Hortons if you prefer, or whatever it might be. But that's not all it is, because it's not just hanging out together. It's doing life together. It's sharing life together. It's sharing not only our resources, you'll notice they share resources, but it's not just sharing our resources, but it's sharing our needs, our hurts, our concerns, praying with and for each other. That's the fellowship. It means community, it means family. They were committed to that. They were committed to prayer which is the invitation for God's hand to move in the midst of the church. In fact, we've been trying more and more to put a focus on this and that we need to have these opportunities and times to come together as the body of Christ where we cry out and call upon God's name. And it's okay to do that privately. In fact, we should. And it's good to do that in groups of two or three. But there is something when the body of Christ together calls on the name of the Lord. I gotta tell you, I really missed in our, our shutdown time, our Wednesday night times of just coming together in prayer. And we've I've been so encouraged since early September. We've been back in those times, and you know, we we kind of stand apart a little bit, we get in circles, and we just we go to prayer, and, and it's interesting, they'll kind of guide us a little bit, but it isn't it's not overly structured, just simply praying with and for each other and praying over our families, praying over our nation. Yesterday. What, forty, fifty thousand 50,000 believers from around the country came together in Washington, and they marched, and it wasn't a protest. I always, I said this, it was a protest against prayerlessness. They, 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 they marched together, but they marched as they were praying out loud. Can you imagine 40, 50,000 believers calling out loud upon the name of the Lord to have mercy and to guide our nation in these days? And by the way, how many know our nation needs prayer? We need it. And our families need prayer. And our community needs prayer. And so it's, it's, it's asking the hand of God to move in our midst. And then it says uh, that they focused on the breaking of bread, which last week, if you were here, it could mean a love feast because they like to eat together. But they also had communion together where they would look at the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. But it was so much more than just eating. It was about celebrating. It was about reflecting. They would celebrate the, the body and the blood of Jesus Christ that he had pursued them from heaven, that He had died for their sins. They celebrated His resurrection. They celebrated the coming of the presence of the Holy Spirit. They celebrated what God was doing in their midst. They celebrated that Jesus was coming again and the return of the Lord. And there was a celebration factor when they would come together. And it's amazing if you read the book of Acts, it is so interesting. And I know a lot of people, I remember when I was a very young believer, um, there was individuals say, well, you know, the book of Acts is an unusual book and it's a transitionary book and it's not really prescriptive it's really descriptive meaning that this is not God's prescribed plan it just describes what God did in this transitionary period and I just look at it and say yeah there's a lot of firsts in the book of Acts but I figure if God did it once he can do it twice and he can keep doing it and in chapter one when they were together I think by no coincidence He gives them the plan and the purpose. This is even before they have the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And they're in prayer together, chapter 1. And what does it say? It says that they, what they encouraged and they were unified together. In chapter 2, when they were together, the Holy Spirit poured out in the day of Pentecost. In chapter, chapter 4, when they were together and they had gone through persecution, they were renewed with a moving of the Spirit, a fresh anointing, a fresh empowerment, and a fresh courage, and they were together. Chapter 5, they saw miracles and healings when they were together. Chapter 14, they would share testimony of what God was doing in various areas of ministry when they were together. Chapter 13, um, when they were worshiping and fasting together, God called out missionaries and called out individuals into the harvest field, specifically Paul and Barnabas for that particular time. But, but that God does that when we're together. Chapter Twenty. They listened to a preacher preach for so many hours. People fell asleep and fell out windows. Praise God! It's my goal in life to preach one time so long. No, I'm just kidding. So why? What's this big deal? We want. What's the big deal? Well, God does some things when we're together. And again, I would suggest to you, it's not, it's not just in a corporate setting like this, but in community of believers. Certainly understanding that we're so blessed that we've got this new online community. We've got this new ability to connect with people around the world. Thank God for that. But why is this so important? Number one... First and foremost, because it brings glory and honor to God. There is something about when God's kids and family get together and celebrate who He is and applaud Him and say you're great. i got to tell you, that last song when we're singing, that uh, there is no, uh, there is no what, power in heaven, there is no sting of hell that can stand up. I always want to clap. It's like, you're right. There's nothing, God, that can stand against you. There is nothing. Because we're making much of Him. Jesus says that when, even when there's two or three, because there's something about that sense of community, even when there's two or three, He says, I'm in the midst of that. I've been focusing on the Psalms, and in Psalm 33, this last week I was reading, and I love what it says. It says, sing joyfully to the Lord. Say that to the person next to you. Say, sing joyfully to the Lord. Let's do that, ready? Sing joyfully to the Lord. Emphasize Joyfully, doesn't say sing wonderfully. Sings joyfully. Sing joyfully to the Lord, you righteous. It is fitting for the upright to praise Him. He says it, 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 it's right for the upright to praise Him. praise the Lord with the harp. Make music to Him with the ten-stringed lyre, or with a five-stringed guitar, or a four-stringed bass or a 230 string piano or a no string keyboard or a two stick drum whatever else was up here and he says this I love this it says sing to him a new song play skillfully even you musicians that when you use your gifts to honor God and you play skillfully that brings glory and honor to him. And shout for joy. And it's hard to do by yourself, isn't it? There's something about together. And you know, I'm looking around here. Steve and Kathy, you've got children. And um, imagine your kids say, hey, mom and dad, we, we want you to come into the house on a special occasion. And, and you said, okay, you get there and then you just say, you know, mom and dad, we just want to tell you, you did such a great job and you're so incredible and you were far more gracious to us than we ever deserved. And we just want you to know that we love you and we want to honor you and um, we think you're the best. After they picked you up off the floor, that probably would encourage you, wouldn't it? And you come together on 50-year anniversaries, not just to celebrate endurance, but those who've done it well, right? Yeah, you get it. You know what I'm saying. And it's celebrating. And imagine when God's kids come together and say, you're awesome, in this place and you are far more gracious than what we deserve and you have pursued us and you have loved us God is honored when his people do that and more important than anything that worship is for me or for you or for anyone else it is first and foremost to be God-centered and then I think as a byproduct of genuine worship then it speaks into our lives Number two, together has a way of encouraging and challenging us in our spiritual journey. Now you'll notice in um, in Hebrews chapter 10, he talks first and foremost about us drawing close to God. And then he talks about drawing near to each other. Now look what he says. He says, uh, verse 19, chapter 10 of Hebrews, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. So what is he saying? He says, you know what? When you're in the right relationship with God, it's very easy to just simply come close to him and all the work that has been done has been done by him on our behalf. Then he says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised it is faithful. So he says, so so also I draw close to God because I know his character. He's faithful. Oh, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. So what he says is, is I want you to encourage, and I want you to spur, and by the way, encourage as you see the di- the day Capital D, the day of the Lord, is talking about the day of the Lord, right? He's talking about the end times. He's talking about that culmination event. And as you see that day, we need encouragement. And it's interesting because there are two words that have a similar impact. The word spur is the word that means to provoke someone or prod them. I think I have the provoking gift. I think I just realized in the first service when I was preaching. I think I have that spiritual gift. Um, I know I have that spiritual gift of irritation. So I'm just assuming maybe prodding. And the idea is that sometimes. Sometimes we don't maybe want to do some things or maybe we get off in a wrong direction and so we need someone to kind of poke or prod us a little bit to get us going in a direction that we really don't want to go. Any of you know anything about farm animals or have to ever move them around? Every once in a while when we would move critters uh, when we were growing up and the, and the grabers would come with their trucks, we'd have to kind of prod them a little bit to get them to go where they were supposed to go. It's not being mean it's just a little love in a provoking way. And you're saying, yes, Pastor Phil, we do think you have that spiritual gift. And now, the other one is this picture. It is to run alongside of someone. If you've ever taught your kids how to ride a bike, you start like this, right? And then you go alongside of them for a little bit. And it's kind of this idea of it means to implore, it means to plead, it means to encourage, but it means to do so as you're alongside and in front of them. And sometimes we need someone in our spiritual faith not to push us. We need them to encourage us. We don't need someone to nag us from behind. We need someone who will come alongside and say, you can do it. And by the way, sometimes I need someone who kind of jabs me a little bit and says, lovingly, you can do it. Come on, let's go. And it's the same effect But sometimes it has to happen from behind and sometimes it happens from beside and in front and depending on which where we are spiritually will probably depend on which we need. And we need that from each other. I remember, I'll never forget when this was made so clear to me, it was Tammy and I hadn't been married for probably three, four months. And we went to a service and one of the older uh, folks in the church who happened to be one of the leaders, I believe he was a deacon, came up to us, and I will tell you, I will tell you, we didn't feel like going. In fact, we had the hymn and the hall and the back and the forth, and we didn't really want to go, but we went ahead and went. And we're sitting there, and it was, it was a great, it was fine service, it was great service, we just didn't feel like going. And um, he came up to us, and he said, can I just tell you how encouraged we are That you're here and it never occurred to me ever that church wasn't about me it wasn't about what I was going to get out of it that there were times that my presence was an encouragement to someone else who needed encouragement and it did it changed the way I looked at those types of things that there were times that I would certainly go to things or there were times that I would go to games or I would go to things just simply to be a support. And even though it wasn't necessarily what I needed at that moment, it was such an encouragement to the other people that needed me. And you look around and, you know, I mean, I always have you look at each other and smile at each other. And it's not because I'm, I don't know what else to say. I want, I want you to be encouraged by seeing each other. And I know I make you feel goofy at times. That's another gift of mine. And I, I, enjoy, I, I try to do that. Why? Because we need each other. And it's good for God's people to dwell together in unity. Number four, I'm sorry, three, it restores us when we slip and fall. Because there are times where we allow sin into our life and Paul says sin consumes us and overtakes us and we need others who are spiritual to come alongside of us. In Galatians chapter 6, I'm gonna, this might be new for some of you, but I want to I read it to you because... There was, when I did a word study in this this week, there was something that I, I probably had envisioned before, but I never, I never looked at before. Here's what it says. It says, brothers, and I assume sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, when I use that phrase, caught in a sin, when I read it, you can read it in two ways. And I think some people read it as, there you go, we're supposed to expose people in their sin. They were caught in a sin. The word caught means snared. It means someone who is caught in a trap. It means someone who has been overtaken and overwhelmed. So what he says is, is that if someone has become snared, trapped, and overwhelmed in sin, you who are spiritual should restore Bring them back to their original beauty and purpose that God has designed for them and do so gently. And when you do so, be cautious or you yourself may be tempted. Isn't that a completely different concept and idea than catching someone and exposing them and holding them accountable? Now, I'm not saying that you don't hold sin accountable But the prevailing attitude and the prevailing desire in the body of Christ is Paul says that people get trapped and people get snared and you who are spiritual gently help bring them back to their original glory and beauty. That's what the community of believers should be. A place that spurs, a place that encourages, and a place that restores. Number four, when we come together, the power of being together is that it has a way of offering hope in our hurts and our healings. One of my favorite passages of Scripture is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Sorry, slash that. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, it says, Praise be to the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if you're here today, and you have a hurt or you have a wound or you have an area of need, if you are listening today and you have a hurt, you have a wound, you have an area that needs to be healed, I want you to hear this. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort who comforts us in all our troubles. So God is able, in His gracious way, to comfort and meet the need in your life. But notice what He says. So that we can comfort those in any trouble... With the comfort that we ourselves have received from Christ. Now, what he says is, is that the Lord is certainly able to bring comfort. But when the Lord brings comfort, there's a purpose in that. Not only to meet your need, but for you then to be able to minister into someone else's life with the same comfort that you are, yourself have received. You are saying, well, wait a minute, where was my comfort from other people when I went through this time? Well, likely you did receive comfort from other people and that's how God ministered to you. But, he, but it could also just simply be that the Spirit of God ministered comfort and he says, you in the body of Christ in the family of God do not have the right to hoard your hurts and your healings. And when you have a need, you share the need. And when you have a healing, you share the healing. And it is God's incredible design within the family of God, the household of faith, the body of Christ, for us to minister one to another in times of deep need. And so if you've gone through a loss, you know how to minister to someone who's gone through a loss. And you know, likely, there are no good words to share. But you've discovered that it's important to just be there. I love that we shared this morning we're starting up Grief Share again. Grief Share has been this incredible ministry over the last few years where where it's not just simply helping people through times of grief. But what happens is everyone who is in there has a different kind of grief, but a commonality in grief. And so they're able simply by commonality to be able to to minister to one another. Divorce care, which is starting up again as a ministry for 20-some years where many times people go through divorce care more than one time because they find the second time it's a ministry to them, but then it's also a ministry because they're now able to help others who are a little behind them in the journey. Widow care is a ministry to those who've gone through the loss of a spouse and uniquely able to minister because those who lead that Know what it is to have gone through the loss of a spouse. And if you've been through an addiction, you know how it is to have somebody who's a sponsor, and encourager, because they know what it's like to go through addiction. Whatever the form of that addiction is. And if you've gone through a, an infidelity and God has healed your marriage, I have friends that they have they believe so strongly God has spared their marriage and now they want to make it their, their point and plan in vulnerability to come alongside other couples that are struggling to help bring reconciliation and healing. And there's this incredible thing when we are vulnerable enough to do life together. To share. Number five. It gives a sense of belonging. When we're together in a group, in a Sunday school class, in a, in a small setting, in a prayer setting, in an online community setting, one of the things we're working really hard right now is developing new avenues of focusing on Community. Pastor Dan has transitioned over to family ministries and one of the mantras that I'm giving him right now is we have got to give young families opportunity to develop community and relationship. If you're here today and you have a child that's a very young child, you know very well you need sanity, right? You need healing, from insanity, <laughs> because that's what happens. And you need other adults. And so we're trying to develop community groups where, where we do small group ministries and just encouragement and fellowship. And, and by the way, if you're newly married or young married, you don't have children yet, you need, you need families to connect with. And there's this incredible need for community. Pastor Chelsea, something, we actually started working on this about two, three months before uh, COVID and the shutdown here in our state. We weren't quite ready for it, but she was ready to go on this thing. She was transitioning into our online pastor's position to come alongside of our growing online community. Because during, during all of these services this morning, there have been 100 to 150, 175, 200 people or family units who have been worshiping with us, and we're glad you're here. And by the end of today, there'll be somewhere, oh, upwards of eight or nine hundred who have been through our worship services. And by the end of the week, we kind of lose track. It becomes thousands. But it's not enough to just simply hear. We want to engage. And so she's, she stays connected and she goes back and forth and they do chat stuff. And we're actually trying to start community groups with our online community. Because we just need a place to belong. So much study has been done on generations. If you're here this morning and you are 24 years of age or younger, is there anybody 24 or younger? Just raise your hand real quick. Okay. You, Rich, you are not 24 or younger. You got shoes that are 24 or younger. Raise your hand again, 24 or younger. You are a Gen Z-er. You're Gen Zer. you are general z if you're between 25 and 40, you're a millennial. do want you raise your hand. A lot of Gen Zs in here. If you are somewhere born between 1964 and I think it's 1984, you're old. No, you are a, you're, no, you're not. I, that's me, by the way. You are a, they had a terrible name for us for the longest time because they didn't know what we were. They called us Baby Busters. We're called, uh, now they call us most, most commonly Gen X. So I always tell people, I'm an X-Man. <laughs> and if you're born from 1964 to 1944, you're a baby boomer. And I kind of wonder if there's going to be a COVID boomers. Because, you know, there's the whole. I got an idea. And then if you're before 1944, um, for years we called you the silent generation. I, I think the reason we called you the silent generation is you didn't complain. I like the best name now. It's called the greatest generation. So much study has been done on millennials and Gen Zs. Trying to figure them out. And if you're a millennial or a Gen Z, you are, by all intents and purposes, you are the most connected generations that have ever lived on the earth. Uh, Between social media, text, communication, communication, cell phone, communication. You are the most connected generation. And by your own admission and self-diagnosis, you have self-described yourself as the loneliest generation. Um, That's not me saying it. It's what you've said about yourself. And I, everybody's trying to figure out millennials and Gen Z's. I I don't think you're that different. There's a deep yearning to belong. There is a deep yearning for community. And I got to be honest, you're not that different from us older ones. Everybody wants that. We all want to belong. And thirty some years ago, a great philosopher wrote these words. Making your way in the world today takes everything you got. You you're a philosopher too. Getting away from all your worries. Sure would help a lot. Wouldn't you like to get away? Sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name. And you're always glad you came. You want to be where you can see your troubles are all the same. You want to be where everybody knows your name. And God has a name for it. It's called community. It's called God's family. It's called the body of Christ. And and I'm I'm not saying the world doesn't yearn for it. Everybody yearns for it. Everybody yearns for it. But God said, I want my family together to do this at a deeper level of sharing life. And you can do it on your own. But I want you to know, I never intended for you to do it. And there's a level of spiritual development you'll never experience unless you engage with others. Together. So Father, thank you. I would guarantee right now in this room and listening online There are those that would self-describe themselves as lonely. And I love how you say in the Old Testament that you place the lonely in families. And Lord, I I believe that the family that is open and available and needs to be for every person in this world is the household of faith, the body of Christ, the family of God. I, I pray that, Father, just a permeating pastoral prayer over our congregation, that we would always be a place of encouragement, challenge, and restorative healing to the original beauty and call that You have for our lives. And Father, I pray for those right now that are deeply yearning for this, that the answer that You have for us is to engage and it likely would not be in a, a setting of five or six hundred that we would know everybody's names, but to have those two or three or a smaller setting or a smaller group or a, a house gathering or group where, Lord, we know what it is to have others who carry our burdens even as we carry theirs. And so, Lord, I want to go deeper in my walk with you and I want to go deeper in my walk with others. And it takes risk and it takes vulnerability, but, Father, I believe that's the plan you have in store for me even as I'm doing this thing called life. And I pray that you'd bring comfort, especially to those who, because seriously, because of distance or illness, they're just not able to be together. And I pray you'd wrap your arms around especially those that are watching and draw them close to your heartbeat. and, And as you send us a note or something, we want to reach right back. And Lord, just simply so that we can share our troubles together. We love you, Lord. And we thank you for this thing called the family of God. In Jesus' name.